Ew, gotta get rid of this old Backstreet Boys t-shirt. Tell me why. Because it stinks, boys. Tell me why. I've washed it so many times, but the odor won't come out. Tell me why. No, you tell me why I can't get rid of this odor. Have you tried Downy Rinse and Refresh? It doesn't just cover up odors. It helps remove them. Wow, it worked, guys. Yeah. Downy Rinse and Refresh removes more odor in one wash than the leading value detergent in three washes. Find it wherever you buy laundry products. Welcome to the AI Learner's Lounge. I'm your host, Cambria, and this is a podcast where AI meets learning and development. From exploring how AI facilitates individual learning to understanding its integration into broader organizational strategies, we tackle it all. Every episode brings fresh perspectives, innovative ideas, and actionable advice for those looking to weave AI into the fabric of the modern learning Join me as we navigate the intersection of technology and human potential right here on the AI Learner Lounge. Hello and welcome back to the AI Learner Lounge podcast for episode 11, where we have a special Halloween edition. And today we're going to be talking about the ghoulish side of AI and the different risks that it brings. Now, Halloween is just one day a year, but these risks can haunt us year-round if we don't properly manage them and we're not aware of them. So if we bring awareness to them, that lets us take strategic action to reduce them, and then we can just scare most of them away. And that gives us the space to really focus on the most impactful ones and the ones that are more difficult to mitigate. So in today's episode, we're going to talk through some of the AI horrors that can haunt learning and development, how you can beat them, and if there's anything in the new re- newly released executive order from the White House on AI and seeing how that may play into some of this. So first up on our list is the ghosts of AI. And this is really the biases that are hard to see, but they can lead to unfair decisions, misrepresentation, and irrelevant or inaccurate information. So this really is shown on social media a lot with image generation. So if you ask for a CEO and you're often given with some tools, usually mid-journey, Dolly 3, a little bit less so from what I've seen, but you're given four male CEOs. Whereas when you go into Dolly, it's maybe 50-50, it changes a bit. And the same comes into when we look at gender, could be race, religion, all these different things and how those are showing up in image generation, in the text responses we're getting. And that bias can be extremely impactful when it comes to decision making, if we're using these tools for that too. So if we look at the sources of what these bias and where they come from, the big one is with the data itself. Now, AI itself isn't biased, but as humans, we are. And AI is trained on vast data sets, but these were created by us as humans. So AI is going to learn and it's going to perpetrate what we have in that data. Then we have our design biases, and that's the way the systems themselves are designed. They can introduce bias based on our perspectives and our assumptions. So if we're 
building a tool for our learners to use or we're giving them a prompt, we need to make sure that we're not injecting our own personal biases in that. Because coupled with AI, that can really compound the impact. And these can lead to problems with the learning experience when the interaction between learners and AI systems like chatbots that can show up there too. So what can we do about it as learning and development professionals? The biggest thing is to be aware of it and to watch for it and how it shows up in the different outputs that you're getting. And even prompting for inclusion. There was a study a while back that just adding be respectful and inclusive can dramatically reduce that. So our actions and how we're prompting these different systems, that's going to help decrease some of the bias that shows up and make it more inclusive in the responses. And then bringing it back to the learner interaction, that's where we really need to ask our learners for feedback if they're seeing something after all of our testing. If something's still showing up, we need to know about it. So those are three of the most important things that we can really do as learning and development professionals to help with that. And then on a bigger level, when we look at the executive order that was put out, that does have a little bit of things in there about mitigating the harms coming from that, including unfair decision-making from the bias. So if we're looking at evaluating job applications or rentals, all these different things at the societal level, this roadmap from the executive order is going to be looking at those and what can be done with them. So the next risk, the spooky side of AI that we really need to be aware of is the skeletons in the closet. And that is with our data. And if we're uploading sensitive, proprietary, or personal data, even if it's inadvertent, it brings significant risk to our organization, our learner, and to our L&D programs as a whole. So there are a few things we can do with that. The first and most simplest is to anonymize data, making sure that you're not putting this information in there that you shouldn't be, and reading the terms of use for each of these systems. That's going to help you know what's being done with your data, if it's being used to train the models, if there's a way you can opt out of it, if it's being shared with third parties. And for us as learning and development professionals, that's a little beyond us, right? That gets into different other departments of our organization. But if we're using these tools as individuals, then we need to take that responsibility to do that. And a really good role that Rachel Woods from the AI Exchange, she put out there is the Reddit role. So even if you anonymize it, would you post it on Reddit or a different social media site? That's a really good threshold to determining whether it's something to use with AI. Now, the next spooky we get to is our vampires. And these ones are a little harder to spot because they are there, but we often don't notice it until it's too late. So they can drain the lifeblood of our human interactions and social learning from our educational and our different learning experiences. With the rise of AI-driven learning tools and platforms, there's a risk that the learners might become more isolated that they could start engaging with AI-generated content or AI tutors more than they do with their peers and their trainers or coaches. So the personalized nature, too, it can also create these silos where learners are only exposed to content that aligns with their existing beliefs and perspectives. So that's another potential downside of this. And 
as learning and development professionals and even just individuals using AI, we really need to strike that balance and value the different human relationships that we have in the workplace. We can encourage collaborative learning environments. We can use AI to help facilitate, create content, provide supplemental support through a chatbot, but it can't replace our human interactions. So we need to implement features in AI-driven platforms that promote social learning and use AI for the positive so that it's not going to suck the lifeblood of our human interactions. Maybe it can help us with discussion forums or peer reviews or even building and supporting group projects so that it's there in a support capacity. The next spooky creature is one we hear about a lot with the blind spots and hallucinations. So these are the bats of AI. Now, AI obviously has blind spots that need to be addressed. So if ChatGPT doesn't understand your context, it's going to give you irrelevant information. And even if you have the perfect prompt, it could hallucinate. It dramatically decreases when you give it the information that it needs and specific guidance to use that information. But that's always something we need to be watching for. I've seen several times even saying use evidence-based practice is it will show up and tell me something about learning styles that I need to pay attention to. So this is where we need to fuse our expertise in this process and make sure that we're building the knowledge that we have our detailed instructions on how we do our processes, the thought process behind it, what we use, so that that's in that prompt, but also reviewing it afterwards to make sure that ChatGPT performed as we expected it to. And then we get into our mummies, which really stifles creativity and innovation. When we have an over-reliance on AI, it makes things a little bit dull and and inspiring. If we're using it all the time for our course designs and we're not bothering to bring our own creativity to that process or have a collaborative partnership with ChatGPT to brainstorm and we just use whatever it gives us, we're going to get really generic materials. And there's been a few studies out there on creativity that we talked about in the last episode, how creativity is different for AI and how it's different for humans. But when we fuse those together, it's really nice because the one thing with AI like ChatGPT, at a group level, there's a lot less diversity of thought. So that's where we need to be getting our perspectives and that of actual humans around us too and different ideas from our team and use those so that we don't have the mummies taking over and we're just here in the background doing whatever they tell us to. It's really a collaborative tool. It can be a partnership, but it can't be a replacement. The next AI horror we have is the werewolves. This is the unpredictability and unexpectedness of the prompt sometimes. So with generative AI, it's performing exactly how we expect it to. We're not getting the same outputs every time because it's generating something new, something different by responding to our prompt. And with that, that brings a little bit of risk and unpredictability. If we're not careful, we're going to get unintended results. So if we look at bringing AI to our learning experiences and learners are interacting with it directly, we need to make sure that that unpredictability is managed a bit or that it's appropriate for that situation. So if we're talking about a simulated chatbot 
and there's a clear process that needs to be followed and you're going to get a specific response back if you do these things. Generative AI may not be the best choice for this because you're not going to always get that standardized response is going to show up a little bit differently. So that's where different tools with branching scenarios or other things would be a little more appropriate there. But if we're talking about a conversation where we need to practice some communication skills so that we can do a sales pitch or maybe it's a change management conversation, AI can be great for that because those situations are unpredictable. And when we really build out those personas, it takes that on and can respond according to that, but it's still unpredictable in what that's going to look like. So that's what we just need to be mindful of is if it's right for the situation and then looking at our prompting. So we can adjust the temperature a bit to go from random to and creative to more predictable. So looking at those different things is how we can overcome that. And the final spooky scary out there for AI and probably the most worrisome is the witch's brew. And this is just a giant pot filled with all these different ethical concerns that can bubble up. And there's many of them, starting with the foundation, which is how these models are trained. There have been reports on the unethical treatment of workers around the world who've helped build these systems, and they're the ones that are most vulnerable to exploitation. And they have been exploited and taken advantage of with unreasonable expectations for job performance and what they're expected to do or even refusal to pay them for the hours worked. And these are huge concerns for us as a society, what we're willing to tolerate and how we can build ethical systems that appropriately treat workers who are building them. And then we get into the data sources and the artist's work that's being used to train the models without their consent or without compensation. So copyright lawsuits have emerged because of this very issue. And then we get into the impact that AI has on our society. And this one's more complicated. I can't sit here and tell you what the answer is. Neither can many of the emerging experts in AI ethics, because ethical decisions are based on your personal values and the actions that you're going to take because of that. So at a societal level, we're looking at huge impacts on uh, multifaceted. So if we think about the workforce, how is that going to be affected with job displacement and skill requirements that need to be built so that workers can stay up to date and current and be competitive in the job market? And then we get into the actual working conditions and how we're interacting with AI. If we're learning and development order takers now, is that going to turn into an AI order taker role where AI is telling us the content to build, what it should look like, and we're just there to say okay and follow direction? Or do we want more from that? Do we want that for all the workers in our organizations? And beyond that, just us as humans and our experience, how AI is going to impact us, our children, our healthcare, our housing, all these different things. So this is where we really need to pause and think about what's in that witch's brew, what it means for us, and if there's anything we're going to do about it. 
Um, for some, you may look for models that have higher ethical training standards. So you might look for ones that have a good reputation for treating their workers fairly and actually paying them for the work that's performed. You might decide, you know, I'm not going to use this tool because it doesn't compensate the artists for their contributions. Or you might, if you're in a decision-making capacity, you might refuse to use AI in a certain part of your process if it has the potential to negatively impact one of your team members or if it impacts your subject matter expert relationship. So these different things are really where we stand as individuals and how we're going to handle it. And then at that higher level, when it comes to the government and regulations and support they can provide, that's where that executive order from the White House comes in. For example, there's a section on supporting workers and making sure that they develop principles and best practices to mitigate harm and make sure that we're maximizing the benefits of AI, looking at what the actual impact is on the labor market. And this is true for other areas too. So there's a lot that we can do as individuals and as a society. So dealing with the witch's brew is one of the most scary sides of AI, but ignoring it won't solve the issue. And we don't need to run scared from AI risks when we understand them, when we understand the potential impact and the likelihood of each of them. That's where we can really create a plan to banish them or at least reduce their bite just a little bit. Thank you for joining me for episode 11 of the AI Learner Lounge podcast for our special Halloween edition. I hope you have a happy Halloween and you join me next Tuesday for our next episode.